Hi, Stephen. Hello, Martin. How are you? Not too bad, all things considered, yeah. Meaning the state of the, state, the, state the world is in? Well, and the fact that we're all back in full-on lockdown here in the UK, yeah, kids being homeschooled and everything, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a bit uh, hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you still find the time to release some music, so that's good. What else am I going to do? I've got nothing else to do in lockdown except make music. Yeah. Music and homeschooling. Be creative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, homeschooling. That's true. Yeah. The yeah. What is what is for you? Um, because the album has been uh, well postponed now a, f a few months. Um, how hard was it to well to actually want to release this album and then being confronted with uh, well lockdowns with 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 the virus? Was it hard? Yeah, I think the main the main frustration has been um, that releasing an album into a world that um, it let's just say that normally when you'd release an album, you would have things like tours, you would have things like record store signings, you would have TV appearances, you would have a lot of things that would enable you to engage directly with people and with listeners. And the frustration this time is it feels like I'm releasing out an album into a vacuum, you know. Um, there's, you know, the only thing I can really do is engage with with fans and with the listeners through social media, which is which is amazing. And thank God for social media, which is kind of ironic when you think about a lot of the subject matter of the album is <laughs> is about the world of social media. Now it's not necessarily the greatest thing, but um, I think that's the frustration and also the sense that I think when the the album was originally postponed last March, it was originally postponed. No one really thought there, would, there was any possibility we would still, yeah. almost a year later, still be arguably even worse off than we were um, last year. So, but it's got to the point now where I, I need to let this, I need to let this album in, out into the world. And, you know, and maybe it's the right time to release an album like this. I think people are again looking for things that will engage them and and you know music is obviously a big part of of that and um and music and film are, are becoming more and more important i think in people's lives yeah. particularly if they're in lockdown so i just hope that the album will resonate it's just the frustration in not being able to proactively really go out and promote it and share it with people and play it live it's a slightly disconnected feeling i have you know, with regard to the album, but I'm incredibly proud of it. I mean, I think it's one of my best ever works. So there's certainly no frustration there. But also the starting point for this album, because your previous album, To The Bone, was released in 2017. This is now, well, it was supposed to be three years later, of course, and now it's four yeah. years later, um, The Future Bites. Um, what was for you the, the starting point, the, the seed for this album? I think there was a couple of things. The, the main thing was when I was touring to the bone, which I did throughout most of 2018, even into the beginning of 2019, I was becoming aware that I was falling out of love with the guitar um, as an instrument. Um, I found that every time I picked up the guitar and tried to write with it, which is what I've usually done for, for many, many years, I was kind of boring myself a little bit. I couldn't, I, I couldn't play anything that excited me. It felt like everything had been done. And I think part of the problem is that it had. <laughs> part of the problem is that almost everything I think has been done with the guitar. 
Was it hard? Say again, sorry? Was it, was it hard, that, that, that re, 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 realization? I think it was because, you know, it, it's, 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 it's pretty much fundamental to my, my career and my musical sound that I am a guitar, my music is guitar based. So to, have, to kind of acknowledge that to myself was difficult and it took me a while. But I think the main thing was realizing that I wasn't alone in feeling that. I was starting to talk with, it's a funny thing when you talk to, I mean, I still do interviews with a lot of metal magazines. I've had a very loyal following from, um, you know, metal uh, parts of the media, you know, rock hard and metal hammer and Kerrang. And, the, and they've always been very great champions of my work. And I would be doing interviews with them and I'd be talking about guitar music. And I began to feel like even they, the people that wrote about this music were struggling to find interesting new music from the world of rock and guitar-based music. And that gave me the confidence in a, way, in a way to think, you know what, I think the time is right to, to try and make a record maybe that reflects more of the world that I live in, a record that feels like it draws much more from the, world, the electronic world that we all live in these days. And there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that we do live in an electronic world. All the sound around us is all day long from our laptops, our phones, even our doorbell, you know, it's all electronic sound. And that's the world we live in now. And I think there's a sense that the guitar now almost belongs to the past in a way. I still love it. I still love the guitar. But it seems to me now the sound of the guitar is the sound of the second half of the 20th century in the way that jazz music was the sound of the first half of the 20th century and was kind of wiped out by rock and roll in the, in the second half of the 20th century. I think it's fair to say that the sound of the 21st century, at least so far, has been an electronic world. Uh, what does it, what's it to say for the future of the guitar? Do you think the guitar will be in, well, a, 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 a useful secondhand instrument uh, to the electronic music? Or do you think it will come back or do you think it will re-embed? I mean, I still use the guitar. There's still, there are still guitars on this record, but even the, even the guitar on this record is used in a more, with more of an electronic sensibility, um, almost more of a sound design element rather than there's no classic rock guitar solos or there's no classic rock riffs. And part of the reason is I think that vocabulary is absolutely exhausted. I just think there is nothing more to say with the classic rock vocabulary. So the answer to your question is yes, I think the guitar will always have a place, but it needs to adapt. It needs, I don't think it will ever be the, I don't think it will be the center anymore of contemporary mainstream music. There's no doubt in my mind that electronic music has now become, urban music is you know, all about electronic sound and modern pop music is all about electronic sound. In a way, part of me, the part of me that grew up in the 80s, the part of me that fell in love with Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and, you know, Pink Floyd and The Cure and all these bands when I was a kid, part of me is sad about that. But part of me also acknowledges to myself that one of the, the beautiful things about music is that it continues to evolve. And that's sometimes... And that's something that you, all, that you also say in, or sing in, 12 things I forget. Now I just sit in the corner complaining, making out things were best in the mm -hmm. 80s. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
That is me, I'm afraid. Yeah. But that's not only me. That's that's almost anyone that grew up in, you know, anyone that was a teenager in the 80s has an, anyone, every, everyone has a nostalgia for their teenage years anyway, you know, almost yeah. everyone. It's a time of discovery and, and innocence and, you know, you always remember those things. And what was then for you, um, <clears throat> well, a quick sidestep, uh, Eddie Van Halen passed away last year. Uh, was it something that for you as maybe the 80s and uh, rock and guitar, was it, uh, was it something that affected you? Honestly, it didn't because I, I was never a fan. I know he's an extraordinary musician. It's always sad when an extraordinary artist dies. I was never a fan of the so-called shredder um, mentality. And I think in many ways he was the, the father of that whole kind of movement of, I never understood that playing as fast as you can thing. And I know that wasn't all he did. I know he was a, a more flexible musician than that. But I think that the legacy that he has, Eddie Van Halen, is in creating the shredder phenomenon, which is something so vile to me, that that kind of idea that you, you, you play music almost like you're playing an Olympic sport. Um, is is kind of anathema to my kind of ideas on creativity and music. Yeah, okay. That was a, a short side step. Um, go back to what you were saying about the guitar, electronic music and the 80s. Um, with that in mind, uh, what was the first song and then um, that you created with this, this, this new idea in mind? So I think the first song I created using only electronic music. This isn't the first song I wrote for the record, but it was the breakthrough for me mm -hmm. in the sense that it was a, it was a piece of music that was made without any guitars at all, without any drums. It was purely electronic based and it's the song called King Ghost on the record. Yeah. And it, it's a, what, what I like about what I'm so proud about with that song is that it is purely electronic, but it's also incredibly human and incredibly emotional and incredibly affecting, at least I hope it is. It certainly is for me. Um, and yet it uses a purely synthetic musical palette. And I think that was a real breakthrough for me because I wasn't sure in my mind whether I truly believed I could create music that would sound like Stephen Wilson music without still using things like guitars and drums, which have always been, you know, the kind of bedrock of my musical vocabulary. Yeah. So to have written that song, which had no guitars, no drums, even the voice, even the vocal on that song is kind of electronically treated, has a very strong electronic sensibility. That was a real breakthrough moment for me. And I kind of realized then that that would, that would, that would be a, play a central role on the new record. And how was it for you um, writing the songs prior to this song merely on guitar? Um, did it do something with your confidence prior to starting writing the song? I can imagine that if you've written songs, hundreds of songs on the guitar and then start out e electronically, that you might be a little well, less confident or was it more maybe just more you were really... Uh, enthusiastic maybe about it yeah i think i think i think the opposite was actually true is because i wasn't as familiar with with um working with synthesizers and working with them. i mean i have obviously i have worked with those things but not not to the extent that i did on this record it was exciting it was exciting because i didn't really know what i was doing and i didn't know where i was going and i wasn't 
I wasn't over familiar with the techniques. I didn't have, the problem is with the guitar, I have, you know, like a lot of people, I have a comfort zone. Certain chords I keep coming back to on the guitar, certain progressions I keep coming back to on the guitar. Um, a comfort zone that sounds like me, but I don't have that. When I, when I step up to the keyboards or the synthesizers, I don't have that comfort zone. I'm still kind of exploring and I'm still discovering the possibilities. So if anything, it was exciting to be, to be a little bit ignorant of what I was doing. Yeah. And you said, King, King Ghost, is it, uh, well, there's a line in there, you better take your mess and get out of bed. Um, is the song about you or someone else or maybe some uh, fictionary, uh, fictional character? I think a song like that, it, you know, like like almost all my songs, there's a little, there has to be a little bit of autobiography in it to make it feel believable. So, and I think, I'm sure that's true of almost everyone that's ever written lyrics or poems or a book or a movie script or whatever. You always put a little bit of yourself into it. You always take a sort of, you always take experiences from your own life and put them into what you're doing in order to kind of flesh this, construct out to give it some realism to give it some believability so king ghost is not me the character is not me but there are elements that of myself that i have given to that character there are experiences and memories that i give to that character in order to make him or her believable yeah and um because you were saying well um the the, the thing about complaining <laughs> Uh, things were best in the 80s. What, what, what did it do this, 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 this time frame? And and because it, it, I read this your most personal album to date, um, it looks a bit like someone who sometimes struggles with uh, the time frame that he is in, uh, sometimes um, embracing it. Um, is it true? I think that's a very good way of putting it, actually. Uh, you know, I st I'm, I'm excited by the way the world has changed, but I'm also um, afraid. And I'm also, you know, I, as we go back to that, that, that line in 12 Things I Forgot, I can, be, I can very easily become that, that old guy, you know, screaming at the clouds, you know, things were better when I was a kid, all of that stuff. Um, so I, I have a fairly... I have a fairly schizophrenic relationship with, you know, with, with the present and the way things are going. I love technology. I love what technology has done for the world. And I love what technology has done for music. Um, I couldn't do without my technology. I couldn't do without my phone, my laptop, my, you know, my plugins and my, my studio computer. But at the same time, has it made life better? Has it made music better? No, it hasn't. Um, it still comes down to one thing and one thing only, which is the, the personality of the human being using the technology is the most important thing. The creativity of the human being using the technology is more important than the technology itself. And, and we do live in a world where I, where I do worry sometimes that technology has, we've become slaves to technology, which is interesting because if you read, like I did when I was a kid, if you read a lot of sort of dystopian science fiction writing literature from the mid 20th century, a lot of it tends to be about how one day the human race will create technology, which will enslave them. 
And I think the only thing they got wrong was that they were all talking about robots walking around. You know, we've become slave to robots. But in fact, the, the technology, the robot in that sense, has become reality. It's just, it's just in the form of the internet. It's in the form of social media. It's in the form of our phones and our laptops. We have become slaves, I think, to the world of technology that we ourselves have created. I find that fascinating and I find that scary. So I'm constantly, like a lot of people, I guess I'm constantly between these two states of mind. But do you think there is a generation growing up that, that, that um, um, well, for them it's harder maybe to express emotions by mouth and by just looking at each other? And that's something that I sometimes think, well, that's what I teach my children, just to look yeah. at each other and to talk. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And, and that's, that's where the whole process of how technology has pretty much changed the course of human evolution, which is an extraordinary thing to say. I mean, you think human evolution was kind of progressing along, you know, quite naturally and quite slowly for, for centuries and centuries and millennia and millennia. And then along came the internet uh, 25, 30 years ago. And the human species has changed almost beyond recognition. Um, in an incredibly short period of time. And I don't think we, I don't think we yet completely understand mm -hmm. just how we have been affected by this, how our behavior has affected, how we, as you point out, how we engage with each other has changed, how we respond to things like news, um, how we interpret the world of information, uh, how we listen to music, how we watch movies, how we talk to each other, how we communicate, the way language has changed the way people have become more belligerent, you know, a lot, there's a lot, as we see in America, you know, at the moment, the way there is so much more of what you call, what you might call the politics of hate and the politics of belligerence, taking an extreme view, not being able to anymore see that there is a, a compromised middle view. And I do worry about those things because this is, this is definitely the way the world is going. I see that. Yeah, I think, and everyone can create his own, his own truth uh, everywhere. On, on, there is an internet page or an internet site or a community that, that fully agrees with you. So what is, what is the middle? What is the science? What is true? What is, what is, what is, what is real? And I think that's something that, 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 well, bothers me a bit too. Yeah. I mean that it's, it's becoming increasingly, increasingly hard to tell. I think you're absolutely right. And, and fortunately um, the last four years, the Trump administration in America has has promoted this idea of reality doesn't matter the truth yeah. does not matter it's what people believe that matters yeah. but in a sense that has always existed um religion you know relig religion is the original kind of fake news in a way yeah. um something that people believe despite all this evidence to the contrary um, so people have always believed in fake news or they've, or they've always believed in what they want to believe and the truth and the reality and the facts and the proof are, are actually less important than what people want to believe. Uh, so I think the internet has just accelerated that kind of aspect of human nature in a way. Yeah, but I think if you compare what is happening now to maybe what you say and what happened with what 2000 years of religion, mm. is that religion was something that kept people a bit quiet too. Mm. Um, and there was an afterlife and that's something that you had to, well, to strive for. Mm. But what do you strive for now? 
That's a really good question. And I, I wonder what my, ch my children are seven and nine. And, and I do wonder sometimes, I mean, they have a different idea every week about what they want to do when they grow up, like, you know, like most kids do. But I, I do wonder, you know, and one of the things I find slightly encouraging, and I have to say, there are some great things about, you know, about the, the modern world. It's not all good doom and gloom. One of the things that's really encouraging is that both the, both of them are vegetarian by choice. Mm, yeah. And the rise in veganism and vegetarianism and animal rights is an incredibly positive thing. And that's really all happened during, I think that's happened during my lifetime because when I was a kid, I'd never even heard of the concept of vegetarianism. There were no vegetarian restaurants in my town. And, and now it's such an accepted part now of, of you know, one of the choices that kids will make um, and you have great role models like Billie Eilish, who's a vegan, and Emma Watson, who's a vegan, and obviously um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix being very, very proactive and vocal about animal rights. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And so part of me thinks, you know what? Children always yeah. find a way. They always find a way to, 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 to have the pendulum swing back in the other direction. So they're growing up in a world of technology, so a lot of them, I like to think, will kind of reject that and find a more meaningful path yeah. in their lives. I hope so. Yeah. Um, then a date that is also a year that's also mentioned on your album. It's well, it's only eight, eleven years from now, uh, two thousand thirty-two. Um, why specifically this 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 year for your Future Bites uh, uh, cooperation? I don't know. I think it was around. It was just. It seemed like it was enough into the future that <laughs> that that it was feasible. I mean, I think one of the one of the things about the video for Eminent Sleeves, particularly, you know, which I think is set in 2032, isn't it? Is what you're referring yeah. to. It, it's it's this idea that a company like Amazon could become so powerful and so dominant that actually the whole of Western civilization, the whole of civilization begins to collapse because um, there is nothing left except consuming and consuming from a single source. Um, and I think that that as an idea is not completely bizarre. It's not completely out of the question. And at the rate companies like Amazon and Spotify and Netflix are going, you know, you could definitely see in 12 years time, you know, or 11 years time now, um, world domination from companies like that. Um, it, it's, it's scary how the world of, of you know, uh, e-commerce has become, I mean, even in lockdown, you know, it's become even more important. People are stuck at home and all they've got left to do is buy, buy, buy. You know, I do it myself, buy online. The world of e-commerce is is uh, such a powerful, scary, unknown world at the moment, where people are collecting data about our purchasing habits and using it against us. Companies like Amazon, um, they know exactly what we've bought. They know exactly what we've got in our shopping basket that we haven't checked out yet. They know exactly what we've looked at. And they're using that data against us to buy things that we don't, yeah. ultimately, that we don't really need. Um, and there's a fun side to that. I mean, listen, I love shopping like most people. I love shopping. But there's also a more insidious side to that. And I think that technology is still at the very beginning of its evolution. It's only going to get stronger and more powerful. Meaning? Meaning that in, 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 in 10 to 12 years from now, we could be in a situation where our whole world is governed 
by algorithms that have been created by human beings, but work independently of, of human beings, analyzing our lives, analyzing our behavior, analyzing our data, and basically leading us through our lives, you know, with, with whatever it is they think we need at that given moment in time. And I think we're already halfway there. I think we're already halfway there. What do you think? Um, what is the way? Because uh, I saw on Netflix, I saw a documentary recently about the Yuna bomber. Have you seen it? Okay. Yeah. Have you? Did you? Well, I didn't. No, I didn't but he 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 he, uh, he was a brilliant uh, mathematician. He he won a prize, and he was I mean I don't know Yale or something Harvard when he was 16. And he denounced um, technology, he denounced uh, civilization, and he went to live in a uh, cabin in the woods. And he sent out bombs, letter bombs, for f 15 years. And um, some people see him as some sort of, well, you know, some sort of fairy tale reclusive who just, well, just went back to denouncing everything that, well, that, that, that we have spoken about. That's the opposite. What do you think um, we as humans, what do you think is the best, uh, uh, the best way to, well, to live with this new technology? That's a question I find almost impossible to answer. I, like I said, I think, I think the, the technology has grown at such an extraordinary rate. I really don't think anybody truly understands yet the effects that um, it's having on the human psyche, on, evolu on human evolution. I tell you the one thing that I think is most under threat is um, curiosity. Curiosity is a, a very undervalued human quality. Um, that sense of wanting to know what's out there, what's, what is out there in the world, uh, I don't just mean geographically speaking, traveling, although that's a big part of it. I also mean, you know, all the music that's out there, all the books that are out there, all the all the movies that are out there, all of the potential things that you can do with your life. Um, I worry about the, the younger generation having the curiosity to explore the world that's available to them through any other means than through one of these yeah. or one of these. Uh, There's a sense, isn't there, that, that anyone can say now, why do I need to leave my home? Why do I need to leave my bedroom? It's all here. I, I'm not a fan. I'm not particularly a fan of computer gaming, for example. I think it's the most phenomenal way to waste time. I, I, I really do. I mean, just what a waste of time. <laughs> what and I think, yeah. And then, well, to add to what you were saying about curiosity, that's something that I also, uh, well, uh, have sometimes I've conversations about with my son um, but I also think the curiosity is one but then also to have the dedication to invest time mm -hmm. to actually delve into something to practice to mm -hmm. I think that's also something that I uh, I find it's also it's 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 diminishing I think you're right yeah that commitment uh, yeah. To, to really really knuckle down and do something Yeah, I, that lack of attention span. Yeah, I see that in my kids too. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're still young yet. But, but yeah, and, and the computer game is kind of like the, the, the other side of the coin, isn't it? It's just, 
it's a distracting way to basically fritter away the hours, fritter away the days, fritter away the years in a kind of imaginary world. Um, and that, that, that bothers me. I think that bothers me when I, when I just see kids, you know, just glued to a computer game for hours and hours and hours. And I just think, aren't you curious about what's out there? Yeah. Um, and apparently the answer is no, not really. Why should yeah, I? Yeah. And just, I don't know, uh, the one question that was coming into my mind, aren't we uh, talking like someone who says that everything in the 80s was better? We are, and that, that's the problem. But listen, I'm 53 now, so I understand that me saying these things, I'm kind of either preaching to the converted, I'm talking to my own generation, who, who of course are going to agree with yeah. me. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. But it's, it's, point, it's a pointless discussion, really, in the sense that it has to obviously filter yeah. through to the people that we're talking about. And you can, you know, as history proves time and time again, you cannot convince the younger generation that the, what your way is better. You cannot. My, my parents could not convince me that their way was better. Of course they couldn't. It's part of the natural evolution of things that the younger generation will always rebel against their parents and their parents' belief. And that's a healthy thing. I think that's an important, healthy thing. But I think the difference is that when I was a kid, my rebellion meant discovering music, literature, movies that my parents didn't approve of or didn't like, immersing myself in this magical world of creativity that scared them a bit. But now we have a younger generation that their idea of rebelling against their parents is to sit on their ass playing a computer game all week long. Uh, listen, I'm generalizing. Of course, not all kids are like that. Uh, I'm, I'm, create, I'm making a point here. But there is a sense that, that that sense of rebellion has kind of mutated into something quite... It's quite insular and quite destructive, I think. Yeah, and I think what we are facing within 10 or 20 years is I see addiction in children, addiction to uh, iPads, iPhones, and I think that's something that when you're getting addicted to something that young age, what will it do to you when you're 20, 30s, 40, 50s, and everything that you can get a hold on is, right. is, is in your reach? And I think that's what, that's what I mean when I say that the, the technology has moved so fast, I don't think we really understand yeah. yet. And we will only find out when the kids of today are our age, seriously, what the impact of this technology has had on the, on the human, on human evolution and the human race. So it's going to be a very interesting time, um, yeah. the next 30, 20, 30 years. Yeah, so the, the conclusion might be that the future bites. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect way to end the interview. Yes. Um, Stephen, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Uh,